Welcome to Lung Cancer Considered, the podcast of the International Association for the Study of Lung Cancer, a global organization dedicated to research and practice advances in thoracic oncology. You can find all our podcasts on SoundCloud and at IASLC.org in the newsroom. I'm your host, Dr. Stephen Liu. Welcome to Lung Cancer Considered. I'm Dr. Stephen Liu, Director of Thoracic Oncology at Georgetown University. In today's episode, we discuss the current and future role of liquid biopsy in the treatment of lung cancer. At the moment, the term liquid biopsy largely refers to sequencing of circulating tumor DNA to identify actionable biomarkers and help guide the use of targeted therapy for advanced lung cancer. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about the application of that testing, but we'll also, with an eye to the future, explore other blood-based tests and how they can improve outcomes in the years to come. So I'm really excited to have two global experts in this space to help lead our discussion. First, Dr. Valsamo Elsa Anagnostu is an associate professor of oncology from Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, where she's the co-director of the Lung Cancer Precision Medicine Center of Excellence and director of the Thoracic Oncology Biorepository. Elsa, we're glad to have you here today. Thanks, Stephen. It's a great pleasure to join you today for this Lung Cancer Considered podcast focusing on liquid biopsies. And joining us from Italy, we have Dr. Umberto Malapelle, Professor of Applied Medical Technical Sciences and Chief of the Predictive Molecular Pathology Laboratory at the University of Naples, Federico II, as well as the current Scientific Secretary of the International Society of Liquid Biopsy. Umberto, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much, Stephen, and really happy to stay here with you and Eloisa and Nelson. So let's start with the basics for those new to the topic. Elsa, what are we talking about when we say liquid biopsy and how are we using it now to help patients with lung cancer? So uh, Stephen, liquid biopsy, um, it's its a broad term, as you alluded to, right? That uh, covers the assessment of any blood-based analyte practically. But, but as you mentioned nowadays, when we talk about liquid biopsy is we mostly refer to analysis of circulating cell-free tumor DNA or ctDNA, and I'm going to be referring uh, uh, as, as ctDNA. So, so briefly reviewing what ctDNA is, uh, tumor cells release DNA in the circulation. This happens as tumor cells undergo apoptosis and necrosis. And then this ctDNA can be extracted from blood can be amplified, sequenced, bioinformatically analyzed, and ultimately interrogated for the presence of, of changes in the sequence and structure of DNA that we call mutations. Uh, but, but it's important to, to remember that tumors, uh, in addition to ctDNA, also shed intact cells. These are called circulating tumor cells, or CTCs, as we typically refer to them, as well as um, small packages that contain tumor material. These are called exosomes. These all are quote-unquote liquid biopsies, right? So these, all these can be biopsied by means of a liquid biopsy compared to a traditional tissue biopsy. Now, specifically for our patients with lung cancer, ctDNA liquid biopsies are currently used for genotyping in conjunction with or instead of tissue biopsies, the latter uh, when, uh, when and where tissue is insufficient for next-generation sequencing. And, and I will take EGFR mutant non-small cell lung cancer as a representative example, where we have truly learned a lot from uh, serial liquid biopsies in terms of mechanisms of acquired resistance, say to first-line osimertinib in the FLORA trial or second-line osimertinib or other targeted therapies. Now, there is a number of 
emerging applications for liquid biopsies, again, specific to lung cancer and, and cancers more broadly. And these have to do with cancer screening, minimal residual disease detection, go uh, to cover a broad range of clinical applications um, to therapeutic response monitoring. And while there are no FDA approvals, at least as of yet, these indications, uh, these are very actively researched at this point in time. You really get the sense that we're just scratching the surface, uh, a very important tool. Umberto, what is the role of liquid biopsy for patients with lung cancer in Italy and in Europe overall today? Thank you very much, Steve. Um, considering the clinical, in the clinical practice application, liquid biopsy, in particular for CTDNA-based analysis, is currently used for the detection of clinical relevant alteration in non-small cell lung cancer patients in the advanced stage, like as EGFR, BRAF, KRAS, ALKEROS1, RET, and so on, but when tissue is not available or not enough. The landscape in Europe is really heterogeneous, considering that in some European countries, indication for liquid biopsy, and in particular for CTDNA-based testing, is restricted to only EGFR. But in other countries, an example like as Italy, we have the opportunity to analyze on CTDNA the same gene set approved for tissue-based characterization, with the only exception for PDL1 testing, for which we need the uh, tissue to proceed with an immunistochemistry evaluation of PDL1 as fraction. So, on the overall, we have uh, two different time points in metastatic setting. One is in a basal setting. Before to start with any type of treatment, we can use CTDNA-based analysis to evaluate all the clinical relevant biomarkers approved, and then in at resistance disease to select T79M alteration if we have any patients that in first line um, for these patients was, was used in a first or second generation DKI before to proceed with those imertinib treatments. Now, both of you have, have talked a bit about the use of liquid biopsy for biomarker testing, and we know over the years that molecular testing or biomarker testing is absolutely critical to the proper management of patients with lung cancer. We can't know the right way to treat someone with advanced lung cancer without knowing their genomic signature, without having the results of this biomarker testing. So liquid biopsy is an exciting development here. Historically, we've talked about tissue biopsy as the source of this testing. Elsa, can you walk us through maybe the relative advantages and disadvantages of using liquid biopsy over tissue biopsy? Absolutely. But I have to say, this is a complex question. So I will do my best to, to summarize and compile the, 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 the data here on pros and cons, right? So, so important to start with that um, tissue biopsy and next generation sequencing of tissue biopsies, that remains the gold standard for genotyping, right? But liquid biopsies have several advantages. And, and, and these have to do with the fact that liquid biopsies are first easily obtainable by a simple blood draw and typically have a faster turnaround time. Um, liquid biopsies, especially the ones that we use clinically, which are based off of uh, tumor agnostic gene panel NGS, may end up also being less expensive compared to, to tissue analysis. And the very important point here is that liquid biopsies provide um, uh, real-time insights into the tumor genetic heterogeneity and capture tumor as it evolves, the genomic landscape of the tumor as it evolves uh, during during therapy. And we certainly know from, from repeat tissue biopsies, from repeat genotyping of tumors at the time of progression, 
that this is very important, as you mentioned, Stephen, right, to, uh, for the development of targeted therapies or also the rational combinations to overcome therapeutic resistance. But what is important to note here is that repeat tissue biopsies are not always feasible at the time of disease progression, right? And that, that's where liquid biopsy is come in as, as a complementary tool, if if you will. Again, in terms of advantages for liquid biopsies, they're fast, they're feasible, can be done real time, they're minimally invasive, they're cost-effective. So, so these features make liquid biopsies very, very attractive, especially for decentralized precision oncology efforts, where we can certainly meet the patients where they are by liquid biopsies, a little bit more challenging to do so based on, 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 on traditional uh, tissue biopsies. Of course, there's disadvantages. Uh, it's not all positive. These mainly have to do with the with capturing the analyte itself, the ctDNA. We all know this, but, but I wanted to emphasize that the the mutant uh, tumor sequences that are uh, that are present that we're detecting in the circulation these are present in very small quantity quantities uh, relative to the normal DNA, and that poses a technological challenge because what happens is the following: the the error rate of conventional next generation sequencing is in the order of the levels of the mutant ctDNA, so very tough. To or can be tough or can be challenging uh, to to distinguish signal from noise in 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 the circulation, and you can imagine that this becomes even more this challenge is, is even more prominent in the setting of early stage disease or even in precancer stages, where it's just a handful of mutant DNA molecules just floating in, in the bloodstream, and and also from a, a cancer biology standpoint, what I would like to point out is that. Despite the importance of liquid biopsies and capturing genetic mechanisms of resistance, we we I brought up EGFR acquired resistance as an example before. Liquid biopsies do not capture non-genetic mechanisms of resistance, right? So, so in in the context of lung cancer, metastatic lung cancer treated with targeted therapies, histologic transformation is is a well-described mechanism of acquired resistance. This cannot be captured by liquid biopsies. There is additional challenges, uh, and Umberto, of course, is going to, to weigh in here, but just to, to uh, mention a few. So important to, to, to also realize that in, in plasma-only liquid biopsies, we do not really know the cell or origin of the mutations detected. And important to realize that the majority of cell-free DNA in plasma is released from hematopoietic cells, not tumor cells. So any blood-based NGS approach has the potential to detect clonal hematopoiesis, and these can be a confounder. So uh, important important to take this into consideration. There's additional challenges that have to do with the sensitivity of detection of liquid biopsy assays based on the type of alteration. We're a little bit less sensitive in detecting fusions, for example, or amplifications. And these can be important mechanisms of acquired resistance that we we, we may be underestimating with uh, with with liquid biopsies, but but I'm going to end with a positive note on liquid biopsies. There is emerging improvements in technology and the analytical methodology. So uh, truly, they're expected at turnaround time, and uh, and advantages that I mentioned before. Uh, I do believe that liquid biopsies can um, overcome the limitations of traditional tissue biopsies. Now, there's a lot of a lot of reasons for excitement, but certainly. 
reasons to stay grounded, at least in the short term. Umberto, your thoughts on the advantages, disadvantages of liquid biopsy over tissue? So uh, I need to, to declare my conflict of interest because I am one of the biggest fans of liquid biopsy. But despite this, I fully agree with uh, Elsa. And in particular, the main advantage of liquid biopsy is represented by the possibility to use this tool in dynamic manner. This is the main difference with respect to the tissue because it's really difficult to repeat the analysis on tissue to take the tissue several times during the course of patients. And these aspects of liquid biopsy open the doors to the possibility to, to, to monitor tumor evolution in relation to the different type of treatment and during the time. The main disadvantages consist in the inequality in the access of this type of option due to the need to have molecular biology platform and really skilled personnel. But on the overall, the advantages are more than the, the disadvantages one. Uh, but from the analytical point of view, it's really easy to try to standardize in a, a molecular biology-based technologies on liquid biopsy respect to the tissue because the tissue is really pleiotropic. So we need to consider that in the context of non-small cell lung cancer patients, in particular in the, in the advanced stage, we can have different type of uh, biospecimens and also different type of preparation in terms of tissue because you can have uh, small biopsies, a surgical resection, cytological samples prepared in different way, and the standardization is not so easily uh, like as in liquid biopsy because you can use, an example, the volume. And also, as discussed by Elsa right now, we need to pay attention that if we are referring to the liquid biopsy as a cDNA-based approach, we are not able to differentiate if the mutation that we have detected coming from in a lung tumor or in a uh, metastatic or rectal cancer tumors. Because in example, if you are able to detect an AKRAS exon 2 alteration in liquid biopsy, and you don't have the morphological diagnosis before, you are not able to define if this mutation coming from the lung tumors or another type of tumors. And this is one of the problem in example that we uh, try to figure out in the calculation of a blood-based tumor mutational board, in example. And we need to use some uh, technological advances to uh, try to avoid this type of problem. In example, we can combine different type of biological level in liquid biopsy, not only focusing on ctDNA-based alteration, but we can try to combine methylation and mutation or protein level and mutation and so on. Uh, but on the overall, uh, liquid biopsy, in, in my opinion, between liquid biopsy and tissue, we don't have a war. We need to try and to found an marriage between liquid biopsy <laughs> and tissue. In this way, we are able to retrieve information from morphological aspects that we are able to retrieve from a tissue-based analysis and molecular one in combination with the genomic DNA structures from tissue and ctDNA and other type of biosource that we are able to extract from a liquid biopsy. I think that's the right way to to phrase it. You know, it's not really a competition, and ideally, they could be complementary. Um, if only they were complementary, because I think the only barrier to use is cost. Uh, if if there was no cost associated, why not take more information here, Umberto? I, I heard you speak recently in Rome. Another advantage here, you know, under the right circumstances, you can have very quick turnaround from this. Is that right? Yes, absolutely, Steve. You are right because. If you consider that by using liquid biopsy from really practical point of view, if you have the blood collection in the first day and you use the fully automated NGS platform, you are able in 48 uh, hours to have the results in your hand. 
This is the turnaround time that you are able to reach by using the combination of liquid biopsy and next generation sequencing, in particular with a fully automated and integrated process from the library preparation to variant coding. That's pretty remarkable. I do want to sort of stress to our listeners, that's not really the turnaround time expected for our current commercial assays, which are probably somewhere around a week or so. Uh, but Elsa, I want to really stress another point you brought up, and that really is is with sensitivity. And I want to be sure everyone understands why we're going to be very excited about liquid biopsy in this episode, that uh, we want to understand how to really interpret a negative result from a commercial ctdna test if we're sending ctdna and it shows no alterations that's a setting where we really do want to look to the tissue right elsa absolutely uh so you in in these cases there's always reflex testing next generation sequencing testing of the tumor and it is important to uh, to to interpret a ctdna negative or a liquid biopsy rather negative result in the context of disease stage, as well as shedding of the tumor. In other words, in early stage disease with the current technologies and and, and uh, liquid biopsy assays, there is a larger number of patients that we would expect to have undetectable ctDNA, especially if one is testing within a tumor agnostic hybrid capture NGS approach, right? So the fact that there's no mutations detected, it does not mean that uh, ctDNA is not present. It just means that the LOD, the, the level of detection of the assay is such that it cannot capture uh, ctDNA. And again, this is truly exemplified in the context of, of early stage disease. So, so to Umberta's point and, and your point as well, Stephen, it is truly, it, it is important to use the two modalities, tissue NGS and liquid biopsies in, in, in combination uh, to try to make the best and fastest uh, decisions for our patients with respect to precision oncology. Yeah. So if we send a ctDNA sample, we get an ALK fusion, we believe it, we act on it. That's going to be a very predictive response. If we send ctDNA and it shows nothing, then we really need to look to the tissue. That's not adequate testing. We really need to keep looking um, uh, to confirm the, the absence in tissue. And so right now, as we discussed, the current use of liquid biopsy in the clinic is in the identification of these actionable targets at diagnosis or in some cases, maybe understanding the mechanism of resistance at the time of progression. Elsa, if we look to sort of the near future, do you think liquid biopsy could provide useful information during therapy? Absolutely. This is very close to my heart with respect to targeted therapies, also with respect to, to immunotherapies. But targeting and tracking ctDNA kinetics, this is an emerging dynamic biomarker uh, of response to, uh, to to therapy, be it target therapy or immunotherapy. Let's talk about target therapy first, right? So we know that early clearance or dramatic reduction of ctDNA levels while on target therapy, we know that uh, this accurately and rapidly captures tumor regression as we capture it on, on, on imaging. And I think that in combination with with capturing emerging uh, genotypes, ctDNA kinetics can allow for the early implementation of of rational combinations before clinical or importantly before radiographic evidence of uh, of relapse. Now, of course, 
we know about cDNA uh, kinetics association and with PFS and proof of concept studies. But the question that comes up, and I'm sure you're going to ask, Stephen, is, is whether the uh, the earlier detection of resistance via liquid biopsies uh, actually impacts long-term outcomes. And, and, you know, we don't have that many studies uh, to, to show this, but I think the answer is yes, we're starting to see these studies. And this was recently shown in the, in the Apple uh, clinical trial that was reported at ELCC this year, uh, where we looked or they looked at serial monitoring of EGFR T790M by liquid biopsies. And 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 what uh what they showed was that a molecular progression, a CTDNA progression before resist progression, that led to an earlier switch as expected to uh to osimertinib with a numerically higher PFS for patients that underwent the switch. Uh, so I think ctDNA kinetics is a very relevant dynamic biomarker that is not currently FDA approved or uh, broadly used, but I certainly see it, the utility in the future. That was a, an important study, I think, led by Jordi Roman um, that really exemplifies the, the potential. Because also when we think of CT scans imaging, I think that we have to remember that there need to be quite a, a profound changes for, for us to see differences on a CT, we should be able to detect things much earlier with liquid, right? Absolutely. I think in the targeted therapy space, imaging gets it right later, but it will show tumor regression. Where it, it becomes uh, exceedingly complex is in the context of immunotherapy, that it's mm. not only the timing, but also the fact that imaging does not really capture the magnitude of response, right? So we have progression. We see uh, lesions being stable on imaging, but practically the composition of the lesion changes, right? There's influx of T cells in the context of immunotherapy, for example. We still see this as stable disease, but that does not reflect what is actually happening mm. in the tumor bed. Alberto, do you think ctDNA clearance or kinetics are going to be useful clinically? Absolutely, yes, Stephen. Uh, fully agree with Elsa, and we need to pay attention that is also really easy to do because to study kinetics, we can use also other type of molecular strategies, not only next generation sequencing. In example, we can use also digital PCR and it's really easily to implement around the world also if we consider the low-income countries. And we can use this type of approach because our focus in this case is the delta between the basal point and the additional point. The problem is to define the clinical relevant limit of detection, uh, not only the analytical one, because we know that we are able to use ultra deep next generation sequencing or really advanced digital PCR to detect 0.001% of mutated allele, but we need to define the relevance of this 0.01% from clinical point of view. This is the only limitation that we need to overcome today, but absolutely the study of kinetics and the improvement of mutant allele fraction in bloodstream is really useful to define the evolution of the tumors during the time, also under a specific type of treatment. And in relation to the first part that we have discussed um, previously regarding the possibility that we have to detect or not any mutation in bloodstream, we can also try to combine different types of information. So in example, if you have some assay that are able to define not only the presence or the absence of a specific type of alteration, but also the overall tumor fraction. 
And this can be really useful because when you have an, a higher tumor fraction and you are not able to see anything in bloodstream, this, this means that this is an wild-type patient. But if you have an, a lower tumor fraction and you are not able to define anything in bloodstream, this means that uh, so you have the possibility to define if there is an wild-type patient because it can be below the limit of detection of your technologies and you are not able to know if the mutation there is or not uh, really. So on the overall, the dynamic aspects of liquid biopsy is the really important key weapon for this tool. And the possibility to analyze the kinetics represent really important things that we need to exploit. And as you have discussed previously, uh, if we consider data from APOL trials and other, other type of retrospective trials on this focus, this is technically possible and is also really useful from a clinical point of view. We need to wait the approval as discussed by Elsa from FDA and AMA and the other regulatory agency, but I think that release is really useful also from a clinical point of view. I completely agree. And I think that both of you are involved in, in studies that I think are really going to revolutionize how we use targeted therapy uh, by applying ctDNA. I'll highlight another study done by our colleague, Dr. Helena Yu, where you know we know that adding chemotherapy to EGFR inhibitors can provide additional benefit, but at the cost of toxicity, she has a trial where you start with targeted therapy, and if you don't clear the ctDNA, then you're randomized to add chemotherapy or not to really see if using that early clearance point can maybe predict who needs additional therapy, and importantly, who doesn't. And I really think that that more rational application of escalating care uh, is, is really, I think, a, a, a promising area for ctDNA. I think these, these changes in ctDNA fraction are pretty obvious for targeted therapy. But Elsa, you mentioned that maybe applying liquid biopsy to immunotherapy use is in the future. Can you talk a, a little bit about how that might be the case? Absolutely. I think liquid biopsy and, and liquid biopsy or ctDNA molecular response can really help us understand the timing and nature of uh, responses with with immunotherapy we have several challenges with with immunotherapy right so um there is there is response clinical that is or radiographic response heterogeneity uh the imaging is probably capturing therapeutic benefit but not in a timely manner then we have snapshot biomarkers like pdl one and tumor mutation burden that don't really work broadly, right? So certainly there's patients that can be selected based on pdl one or TMB high, but we truly need molecularly informed strategies to understand, to capture responses during immunotherapy and then monitor responses during immunotherapy. And that's where ctDNA comes in. We've been studying this for uh, for a long time, so I'm particularly passionate um, about this. And so in looking at ctDNA dynamics, as Umberto was was um, uh, was mentioning, in 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 a serial uh, manner, they're they're very distinct patterns, if if you will. Patients with ctDNA molecular response typically have a dramatic reduction of ctDNA um, down to many times down to undetectable levels. And this is actually reflective of long-term clinical outcome. 
This is very different for patients with primary resistance to immunotherapy, where what we typically see is ctDNA levels with limited fluctuations are actually rising after therapy uh, initiation. With immunotherapy, there is uh, another challenge which has to do with heterogeneity of um, uh, stable disease. So we truly do not know, um, uh, we cannot accurately capture outcomes for patients that are all kind of lumped into this stable disease by imaging category. And what we've seen is that if one stratifies by ctDNA molecular response within the stable disease category, one can actually predict, better predict long-term outcome PFS and OS. But um, there is more work to be done here, right? And so Umberto was very optimistic. Um, and I would like to contradict him a little bit uh, in terms of what needs to be done, because it is... Um, I think the patterns are very clear cut, and I completely agree with you, uh, Umberto. But but I would what I would argue is that um, ctDNA molecular response it truly depends on the assay that is utilized, and so there is a lot of work that needs to be done if if now we want to say randomize patients right based on ctDNA persistence, similar to the EGFR trial, Stephen, that you talked about. We really need to determine in the context of a specific assay. We we need to figure out what is molecular response. Is it reduction by 50%? Is it off this math, right? Uh, is it is it complete clearance? What is it? When does it happen? And then what is the true concordance between ctDNA response and radiographic response? So to give you an idea, uh, um, uh, we've been thinking about these questions a lot. And so we put together a clinical trial of molecular response adaptive immunotherapy. This is BR36, and it's led by the Canadian Cancers, uh, Cancer Trials Group. We reported this not too long ago at AACR, where in preparation for the interventional second stage of the trial, where we're practically randomizing patients to either continue pembrolizumab or step up to pembrolizumab and chemotherapy based on ctDNA molecular progression, we uh, spent a couple years working on the, the definition of molecular response, when it happens, and then uh, how well it predicts radiographic response. So, so I think this is an exercise um, that it, the, the questions are simple, Umberto, as you said, but I think this is an exercise that we really need to, uh, to do in thinking about implementing liquid biopsies into clinical cancer care, right? Not for genotyping now, but but cDNA dynamics, right? And now in thinking, um, thinking a little bit uh, uh, more broadly, if you will, in addition to the quick fail approach that I just described, right? So ctDNA is not cleared, therefore you escalate therapy. One could implement liquid biopsies in treatment de-escalation in the setting of sustained ctDNA clearance, hmm. or then do uh, implement an early switch approach if ctDNA comes up or there's new clones emerging. And you can imagine that this can also play a role in potentially establishing ctDNA as an early endpoint to support drug approvals in drug development, right? So, so pharma can potentially use ctDNA as a readout of drug efficacy, and that can allow, uh, can allow them to pivot, if you will. Uh, and 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 quickly make uh, go no go decisions about drugs. Outstanding, Umberto. What about you? Do you think liquid biopsy is going to play a role in immunotherapy decisions? 
Absolutely, Stephen. And not not only for uh, the dynamic aspects, but also in some static point, in example, if you have any patients in which you are not able to define if there is an pseudo progression or any real progression, by using two different time points in liquid biopsy and by realizing the, the mutant allele fraction, you are able to define if there is an, a real progression in terms of uh, growing tumors or not. So this is only an example. And fully agree with Elsa that we need to test this whole hypothesis in clinical trials, in prospective clinical trials, and we need also to pay attention on how many time points we need and how, how clinical limit of detection we need to use. And this is strictly dependent, dependent on the methodologies that we are using for, because it's completely different if we use an ECAP-seq or an, uh, deep next generation sequencing or other type of molecular biology strategies. It's completely different if you use an, a digital PCR or an amplicon-based strategies in liquid biopsy. So this is really clear. And we need a harmonization study before to proceed with this in clinical practice. And in particular, we need to pay attention that the comparator is not one methodology respect to the other one, but is, it, but is the ability of this methodology in to predict the therapeutic response. Because if we compare the analytical performance of an uh, NGS strategy respect to another one, and we have some false positive or negative results, we can only say that there is a difference from the analytical point of view. But to define which it, what of these methodologies is the best one, we need to compare these analytical data with the clinical one. And we need to compare these with the therapeutical response, with the radiological response. So we need to have the clinical frame of all these applications. Because from the analytical point of view today, we are able to reach the moon because we can sequence the exome in bloodstream. We can use different strategies really wide in CTDNA analysis but we need to retain our clinical frame. In this way, we need to compare the clinical value of our, our, of our analytical action. Yeah, that's a, a good point to, to really wait for a little more data, but a really exciting prospects for the future. We've been talking up to now about non-small cell. Elsa, I think you've explored this avenue in small cell as well. Can you talk about how it's different there? That's right. So we very recently... Uh, published a study looking at liquid biopsies in patients with small cell lung cancer. And what I'll say is that um, small cell lung cancer has been less studied with respect to liquid biopsies for the most part, because we don't have the samples to uh, the serial plasma samples to, to analyze. But extensive stage small cell lung cancer from a methodology development standpoint, it actually represents a close to ideal setting to study CTDNA dynamics because, because of the higher amounts of simply, you know, of the higher amounts of CTDNA shedding. So, so in this study that we reported uh, recently in clinical cancer research, we looked at dynamics of combined sequence and structural landscapes. In, in patients with small cell lung cancer, and very similar to what we have been discussing thus far in terms of kind of levels of mutations and, and dynamics, they were, uh, we, we again found the uh, very distinct patterns of ctDNA dynamics that had to do with ctDNA elimination, elimination followed by recrudescence or, or persistence. But what was different in this study was that in addition to looking at levels of mutations and their changes over time, we combined this approach with plasma aneuploidy. 
And we came up with this combined molecular response label. And this was, this was interesting because um, there were patients with undetectable ctDNA mutations for which, though, we were able to detect plasma aneuploidy and still determine the ctDNA uh, kinetics or ctDNA molecular response uh, for these. And, and I think liquid biopsy is... Um, overall are, are very or can be very informative for patients with with small cell lung cancer I'm thinking about um, the Caspian study for example where there was a fraction of patients I think it was sizable uh, that had actually good outcomes after first line uh, durvalumab and, and, and chemotherapy and that highlights that you know small cell lung cancer, despite the worst prognosis or dismal prognosis overall, there are patients or patients subsets with differential clinical outcomes. And these may more accurately captured by, by ctDNA uh, kinetics. Um, ctDNA kinetics can also be informative in the limited stage uh, disease setting for small, uh, for small cell lung cancer after, for example, chemoradiation especially as immunotherapy is tested in the earlier uh, in the earlier stage disease setting. Great points. Really exciting to see something that can help guide therapy a little more. I'll, I'll mention another study in Power 133 also showed some benefit with immunotherapy with atezolizumab, uh, both very important advances. And you know, hopefully it can help guide, guide therapy a bit more. When I look to liquid biopsy and where I think I hear the most talk now clinically is probably in the early stage space in maybe um, looking for some marker of minimal residual disease or MRD. Umberto, can you explain to our listeners what MRD is and how liquid biopsy can be helpful in that space? And, and then I'll ask the same thing to Elsa. Well, fully agree with you, Stephen. Uh, minimal residual disease consists in the evaluation of the minimal quantity of detec detectable disease after an surgical resection of the tumor lesion. In this landscape, one of the main, most important parameters is the detectability. This is fully related to our limit of detection and uh, to our resolution power in relation to the technologies that we are using for. And this represents the key weapon for minimal residual disease evaluation, in particular in liquid biopsy. And by using liquid biopsy, combined with high sensitivity molecular biology, and in this setting, also by using an example, the tumor-informed approach, because we can... Uh, running an NGS and we can select some tracking alteration and we can use this alteration to define the minimal residual disease in bloodstream and in particular NGS with the ultra deep approach or new generation digital PCR we are able to identify in bloodstream the residual content of mutated alleles released by the tumors and in particular focusing on the evolution of the mutant allele fraction during the time we are able to define if there is or there is an ellipse. But also in this step, in this setting, as we have discussed previously, we need to work a lot to define the best approach. If we need to use an, a tumor-informed approach, or if we need to use an, a wider, not tumor-informed approach, because the limit of detection and the definition of the minimal quantity of the allele is one of the most important parameters that we need to clarify before to transfer this really fascinating option in uh, clinical practice. I completely agree with, with Umberto uh, that we have 
approaches in development, but we're probably not just there with respect to ctDNA MRD detection. I mean, everyone's eyes is on ctDNA informed perioperative decision making, right? Uh, especially in the context of perioperative immunotherapy after the Aegean trial uh, announced it or reported at, at AACR. But it is important to, to understand the challenges here, and Umberto uh, very nicely brought those up. So in, in, in contrast to the metastatic setting, where I think we can capture ctDNA for the majority of patients, maybe there is a 10% undetectable rate, but that is probably uh, acceptable. Technology is, is, is a, probably not there for MRD detection in the early stage setting. So in, in looking at the clinical sensitivity of ctDNA for uh, in terms of or ctDNA MRD in terms of capturing uh, disease recurrence, that is modus. That is in the order of forty percent, right? For patients mm -hmm. with early stage disease, it goes up up to eighty, high eighties for patients with locally advanced non-small cell lung cancer that undergo definitive chemo radiation. But but I would argue that the false negative rate. It, it is not in the desired level for clinical implementation, right, in order to inform clinical decision-making. And Umberto mentioned uh, the or alluded to uh, bespoke tumor-informed approaches. These are more sensitive, but, but and we know this from, from the dynamic study in, in colon cancer, that, that a fraction of MRD ctDNA negative patients still have disease recurrence, right? So, so we truly need to do better with developing ultra-sensitive technologies for, for ctDNA MRD detection. All right, well, hopefully we'll get there in the near future behind the work that both of you are doing. We've talked a bit about ctDNA. We know that we can also isolate circulating tumor cells. Elsie explained those at the beginning. Umberto, can you explain how CTCs could be used in lung cancer management? So this is a great point, Stephen, because we need to consider that liquid biopsy is not represented only by ctDNA, but other biological entities like as circulating tumor cells, uh, they play an important role. It's also true that in particular in lung cancer patients, the quantity of detectable CT CTC is really low. And to improve the selection of this really important biological component, we need to use really powerful immunophenotypic selection strategies. And in this landscape, we need also to take into account that uh, liquid biopsy doesn't mean only blood, but we can use all the other body fluids, such as, an example, effusions, to detect circulating tumor cells and other type of biomolecules shared by tumors in the body fluids. But we need to pay attention on the pre-analytical management of all these body fluids and also to the blood. Uh, but CTC represents also a really informative source for other, for other type of nucleic acids, not only ctDNA, but in particular ctRNA, because the overall the cell-free RNA is really difficult to stabilize because the half-life of uh, cell-free RNA is more or less three, five minutes. But by using other type of source like SCTC or platelet-derived RNA, we can try to uh, improve our a detection limit for ctRNA and the other type of nucleic acids. Uh, but as you uh, pointed up, CTC in other type of setting, like as an example, breast cancer represents a really uh, main point in liquid biopsy, but all the study in no small cell lung cancer right now, in particular in the early stage, show that the number of detectable CTC are really difficult to reach. Elsa, what are some of the other things we can do with liquid biopsy? 
Yeah, I want to, uh, to second what Umberto brought up, which is using liquid biopsies and other bodily fluids. And mentioned here that uh, liquid biopsies can be applied in non-plasma biological fluids, such as urine, saliva, pleural fluid, not just, you know, effusions, but but it's it's a broad range, right? And and if these fluids are actually are more pl- proximal to the primary tumor site, these can could potentially increase the sensitivity of uh, of detection. The second point I want to make here in terms of additional uses or what it is we can do with liquid biopsy is, is I want to point out the uh, some emerging analytical methodologies that for the most part have to do with uh, with machine learning approaches, levering, leveraging whole genome sequencing data. So, so one important consideration, and I think Umberto alluded to that, is that we may be reaching a plateau in sensitivity of mutation-based liquid biopsy approaches, even if we go ultra deep and we're, uh, we, we sequence uh, ultra deeply. And, and as these also, as these ultra sensitive technologies develop, they actually may have a relatively high cost that then it, it will become a feasibility issue, right? So we wouldn't be able to, to use them uh, in a widespread manner in clinical trials in, in, standard, in standard of care. So what we're seeing now, which is truly exciting is, an increasing number of efforts that uh, analyze additional features of cell-free DNA, and these can be DNA fragment sizes, these can be motifs of the cell-free DNA molecules, these can be epigenetic signatures, and then uh, a machine learning approach is overlaid, ultimately leading to a boost in, in sensitivity over the traditional driver gene mutation-based liquid biopsies that, that we're currently using. Now, these efforts are obviously uh, not ready for broad clinical use, and they're mainly developed for cancer screening. But I think we will be seeing more studies on, on these kind of broader genome-wide approaches in the MRD setting, as well as probably in the IO response monitoring space in the near future. I, I want to keep going. We're running a little out of time. Uh, so for people that are interested in more, and in terms of connecting people interested in the field, there is an international society of liquid biopsy or ISLB, which has its own journal, the Journal of Liquid Biopsy. And Umberto, you're the, the editor-in-chief. Could you tell us a little bit about ISLB in the journal? So thank you very much, Steve. Thank you. Um, international Society of Liquid Biopsy is the place in which all the people working in the liquid biopsy field have the opportunity to share knowledge, experience, and this in a relatively young society that we found with the aim to interconnect all the people, including patients, interested in the implementation of liquid biopsy in different settings, not only in non-small cell lung cancer patients. Now the president is Christian Wolfo, and now we are working together with all the board of directors in the preparation of our next Congress in Madrid, during which we will also announce the editorial board members of the new official journal of International Society of Liquid Biopsy, the Journal of Liquid Biopsy uh, that's published by Elsevier. And I'm really honored to serve as scientific secretary for this society and as the editor-in-chief for this new journal. And we hope to receive many contributions for all the colleagues around the world working in this really interesting field, the field of liquid biopsy. It's, it's been great to watch. Uh, we're just about out of time, but in our last few minutes, I really think our listeners would love to learn a little bit more about the two of you Elsa, could you maybe tell us a little bit about your background and why you decided to focus on lung cancer? 
Sure. So uh, I'm a physician scientist. I'm focusing on cancer genomics and liquid biopsies. Um, I have a particular focus on actually taking scientific discoveries and what we uh, come up with in the lab and translate that into interventions that improve outcomes for patients with lung cancer. How did it all start? Well, I think I was um, a medical student. And back then, I was fascinated by the concept of cancer evolution and how cancer cells go through bottlenecks and how can we actually track this in the uh, in, in the circulation. So I started uh, studying lung cancer biology and uh, almost 20 years fast forward, I remain fascinated by, by lung cancer. I'm still working on understanding how cancer genomes uh, change, how to track this in the bloodstream. And this path took me to uh, leading the cancer genomics and liquid biopsy efforts within thoracic oncology at Hopkins, as well as the Hopkins Molecular Tumor Board. So that's my story. We're, we're glad that you joined our ranks. We're all better off for it. Um, Umberto, uh, do you think you could share your own career path and what drew you to lung cancer? So, Steve, my, my PhD thesis was focused on the role of different molecular biologist technologies to characterize EGFR mutations and the other clinical relevant biomarkers in small cell lung cancer and the other type of lung cancer tumors. And one of the most important steps in my career path was represented by the time spent in Barcelona, working with fantastic colleagues from Rafael Rosel Group, tried to developing all together the first next generation panel fully validated for simultaneous analysis of tissue and liquid biopsy derived DNA in lung cancer. And for all this part, I, I'm really grateful to my mentor because this is really important to have a mentor that is Professor Troncone. Uh, and I work today in Naples in lung cancer, in solid tumors, and within a fantastic group of people in which we are trying to address all the issues that we have discussed with Elsa and you today. I'd love to keep going with both of you, but we are out of time for this episode. So I want to first thank both of our guests, uh, Dr. Umberto Malapele. So glad we could have you join us today. Thank you very much, Steve. Really my pleasure. And Dr. Elsa Anagnastu, thank you for providing all your expertise to the episode. Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure to discuss with you and Umberto, and I hope our audience uh, shares our excitement about uh, liquid biopsies. Oh, and it's hard not to. Uh, and thanks to everyone for listening to Lung Cancer Considered, the official IASLC podcast. Explore other episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at IASLC.org. Thank you for listening to Lung Cancer Considered. You can find all our podcasts on our website, www.iaslc.org, in our newsroom or on SoundCloud. Please take a moment to rank, like, and share your favorite episodes with your colleagues. 